electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Cray America. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate. And to put this in context, call me. 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. This was a sedate day for the averages. Dow dipping 45 points. S&P declining 0.39%. NASDAQ losing 1.09%. But it was a huge day for Disney, up more than 6%. Last night, Disney CEO Bob Chapek was ousted with his predecessor, Bob Iger, coming back to run the place. Many were shocked by Chapek's firing, but not us. Yeah, we here are students of stocks. They represent companies that run like professional football teams. Coach Chapek kept losing games, so we called for his head. Just like we do for any CEO with such a dismal track record of, of over-promising, OP, and then under-delivering, UD. Remember what we like? We like under-promise, over-deliver, UPOD. I was surprised they brought Iger back as he was the one who picked JPEG. But I'm hopeful that he can patch up the bad will and confusion that his successor sowed since he got the job in 2020. Now, you could argue perhaps that JPEG didn't deserve this because, well, the market has been terrible, right? Plus, he took over Disney right as COVID was breaking uh, out with uh, crushing the movie and the theme business, right? You don't want to go to a theme park or a movie and they close it. Still, over time, I figured he'd be able to turn things around because Disney's got so many iconic properties, not to mention terrific CFO and Christine McCarthy. Now, she has some great ideas, but unfortunately, I think Chapek sidelined her. If you were attuned to her manner on the calls and listened to that last December, I uh, last conference call on November 8th, I don't know. She seemed kind of furious. Just, I think she was like aghast at how poorly the company was doing. But nothing positive was on the horizon. If anything, things got worse as JPEG seemed oblivious to the problems, even as the stock kept going lower. And that's why I started calling for him to be fired. In the end, JPEG knew theme parks. Oh, yeah. But nothing else. 
especially not the Disney Plus streaming business. Now, that's become a mess, even as Disney paid $71 billion for 21st Century Fox, which had some terrific tentpoles from the X-Men to the Simpsons. Make no mistake about it, the 21st Century Fox deal was a colossal overpay. Disney paid far more than it was worth, and that happened under the leadership of Bob Iger, who's back in the driver's seat. We don't know how much damage it did, but we do know it dealt a real blow to the company's previously terrific balance sheet. Chapek had no concept of how to make use of those Fox properties or Disney's existing franchises, or maybe even its balance sheet or technology to make the parks more exciting or the customers happier. Nor did he know how to retain the best talent. He turned out to be a nuts and bolts theme park guy in a Hollywood world, and that's just not going to cut it. It's no better than a telco guy in a Hollywood world, as we saw this weekend in Jim Stewart's amazing takedown of ATT's foolhardiness when it acquired Time Warner, then subsequently offloaded it because there's no reason for a phone company to an immediate empire to live under the same roof. New York Times, fabulous article. Now, it's not clear what Iger can really do to turn things around at Disney, which is a stock, by the way, we still own for the Travel Trust, in part because I thought Chapek would get it ousted, resulting in a nice day like today. Still, we are holding on for better days and shared that news to club members this morning after multiple calls for firing last week. Now, a couple of things do come to mind. Iger set lofty goals for profitability for Disney+. Plus. It's time to reset those goals to more realistic levels. They launched their streaming service back when Wall Street loved the streaming model. Investors didn't care how much you spent to bring in new subscribers as long as you were growing, outlawed Netflix. That's no longer the case. So Iger needs to say that profitability is what really matters here, not subscriber growth, but profitability. They've been way too fixated on empty calorie Disney Plus subs. That makes no sense. They put up a great subscriber number last quarter that had shape and bragging about how great things were going. But nobody cares because the market's all about profitability now. Remember my football analogy. Coaches get fired for less than Chapek's bumbling. It drove me nuts that he could say things were going well in so many divisions, not just theme parks, where well, he was actually performing so poorly. Maybe he was tone deaf. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he just didn't understand the fact that the losses were growing for Disney Plus and become an albatross was extraordinary. Yet Chapek talked about how things were fantastic, even as he pushed back the date of profitability. I went over this this morning. I said, because I've been, I've been hard on the guy, but I do think it was disgraceful, frankly. Uh, like the coach of a last place team trying to argue that things are going real well. I mean, the owners, in this case, the board that represents the shareholders, finally had had enough, as any NFL owner would have three games ago. Now, Iger is an interesting choice. On the one hand, he was CEO for 15 years, and most of the time he did a tremendous job. On the other hand, he's the one who decided to spend so heavily on content to bulk up the streaming business. In the end, Disney just traded one treadmill, the endless decline in ESPN subscribers, for another as Wall Street started fixating on the Disney Plus sub count. You have to hope the execution can improve under Iger. I think Disney did poorly under JPEG because there wasn't enough accountability for its various far-flung divisions. That's why I mentioned this morning that I thought that Nelson Peltz, he's a brilliant activist investor who owns a big slug at Disney, would be a good addition to the board, just like he was at Procter & Gamble. Now, at Procter, Peltz demanded accountability for each division, and he got it. The stock went crazy. We went for the charitable trust. I'd love to see his plan for how Disney can improve itself here. Why not? Put him on the board, for heaven's sake. 
Of course, I don't know if you can cost cut your way to raising enough cash to pay for the one third stake of Hulu that Disney's supposed to buy from Comcast, parent of this network in 2024. Hey, maybe pelts us some answers. No matter what, I'd be, it'd be good to have an investor with a huge stake in the company on the board. That tends to concentrate the minds, especially when many members of this board have little stock in the company, let alone a billion dollars worth. To me, Chapek played it all wrong. His strength was the theme park business, which he ran well. But the rest of Disney needed to be run by someone who knows how to get things done in showbiz. That person could be responsible for the losses at Disney+. Plus. Someone has to hold somebody's feet to the fire here, right? Right now, it seems like no one is in charge of anything. Otherwise, they wouldn't have had to bring Iger back. Look, capitalism can be an amazing thing when the people at the top know what they're doing. But when a CEO gets fired and the stock roars like this one did... That's a true sign of failure. Like in the NFL, not everyone's cut out to be the darn head coach, but teams can turn around quickly. Hey, think about this. The New York Giants finished 4-13 last season. This season, they've already won seven games. Same team, new coach. I'm betting Iger can do the same to Disney. I could dwell on how China's back in lockdown mode or oil prices fell today, but I think China will reverse its zero COVID policy as the case count gets further and further away from zero. For me, though, the bottom line is this, that Disney's the defining story of the day. This is a good example of how you can stick with an iconic company, as I do for my Chapel Trust, and make money when they bring in a better leader. And that's exactly what I see happening as Iger takes the helm. Let's go to Trey in Texas. Trey. Jim, happy Thanksgiving. Oh, same to you and your family, partner. What's up? Hey, so I don't know about you, but I have thoroughly enjoyed this year-long Black Friday sale on growth stocks. All right, absolutely. That's the right way to put it. I told my beautiful and very patient fiancé this morning, if the NASDAQ closes under 11,000 Wednesday, I'm selling my car, picking up a 10-speed, and dumping every last dime of the proceeds into the market. Which brings me to my question. Jim, in your trusted opinion, what is the stronger buy right now? Snowflake or Datadog? Oh, man, you know, both of these companies are really great. Datadog is a monster company that if the stock went down more, I think we'd get a takeover bid. Snowflake, well, let's just say it's Frank Slootman, and I think if we come back five years from now, it will be higher. But people want five days. A lot of people want five days, and I can't give you that. And please don't sell all that cool stuff just to own a stock. And you buy things slowly, but I want to wish you and your, and your fiancé a happy Thanksgiving. If you're going to buy Snowflake, buy a little bit here and then wait. Why don't we go to Matthew in Pennsylvania, where I'm spending my holiday, Matthew. <laughs> hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. I, um, I want to hey. ask you about uh, Lyft. Oh, we got a downgrade today on Lyft right after the close. Really spoiled the day for Lyft holders. Here's my answer on Lyft. I just think that it does have so many near-term challenges that I can't recommend the stock. Uh, Look, it's hard enough to own Uber where there are many good things going. I'm going to have to say take a pass on Lyft. Why don't we go to John in New York? John. Hi, Jim. Booyah. John. This is John. This is John from the forgotten borough of Staten Island, New York. No, no, not true. I was, we were going up on the, on the turnpike, and I said, hey, I asked my wife, I said, is that the girls? Does that go right to Staten Island? She says, you can just cut right over to Staten Island from there. So hardly forgotten. Mention, mention just last night. Just last night. That so how can I help? great, Jim. Jim, the stock I'm calling you about is GFS, Global Foundries Solutions. 
They are okay, I know GFS well. I know Tom Caulfield well. Um, I think that the stock, this is, uh, we need more foundries. However, it isn't because they make a lot of chips, but it is in the semiconductor cohort. So therefore, you have to wait till like the last five, six days of the year. There's having a tremendous amount of selling in that group. But I like GFS because it is an American Taiwan semi. But they're not going to make as much money as I thought at one point. Right? Disney is the defining story of the day. This is a great example of how you must and can stick with an iconic company and make money when they bring in a better leader, which is what's going to happen. Think New York Giants last year versus this issue with that coach Dable. I love that guy. And I'm an Eagle fan. I love that guy. I'm not kidding. Oh, man, money tonight. What was the street able to deduce about the state of infrastructure for the latest quarter delivered by Jacob Solutions? As I mentioned, my game plan, I'm digging the stock and sharing what we learned. Then could a Santa Claus rally still be in the cards after the market bounced off its lows last month? I'm going off the charts with up of Larry Williams to find out. And Domino's Pizza announced plans to roll out over 800 GM electric vehicles beginning this month. They already have 100 in. And I am learning more about the company's commitment to net zero future, along with some darn good taste in pizza with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. We often get questions from things that I know you care about, and it's hard to answer them because sometimes the answer may not be explosively exciting. There are a lot of cross currents in the market. Everybody's focused on how the Federal Reserve's raising interest rates to stamp out inflation, something that tends to cause a severe slowdown or even a recession, depending on how aggressively the Fed hits the brakes. 
But that's not the only story out there. We've got other powerful themes that can keep working pretty much regardless of what happens with interest rates. And the biggest one is the one you keep asking about. So we're answering it tonight, which is how to play all the infrastructure spend out of Washington. For example, over the past year or so, Washington's passed two huge spending packages, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill, and then the inaptly named Inflation Reduction Act, or IRA, which to me used to be, you know, obviously your IRA, a few months ago. That adds up to a ton of federal spending. I mean, just a huge amount. It's more or less guaranteed business, right? Because it's the feds. So you ask, where's it going to go? You ask, where's it going to go? I was doing signing some bottles this weekend. Jim, how about this? I need to know about this money. Okay. This morning, we got the results from maybe the most likely candidate. And it's called Jacob Solutions. And you can write it down because the symbol is J. This is a major player in the construction engineering space. It's usually engineering construction. It's called ENC. While Jacobs isn't what I call a thrilling company, all right? It's boring as all get out, and that's why you're probably not going to be interested. But I'm begging you to listen to this. They are the leading player in a niche business with just a few players that can often be pretty lucrative, particularly this year, this next year coming. For the last year, I've been watching this one closely because I think it stands out to be one of the biggest winners for the big infrastructure bill. Of course, the problem with these huge federal projects is they do take a lot of time for them to get rolling. But it sure looks like we're headed for a period where the government largesse is really going to start kicking in. That's why I was a little surprised to see Jacob selling off today and why I'm betting it's a buy into that weakness. I thought I was afraid it might be up 6 or $7. First, though, let me set the scene. When it comes to last year's big infrastructure bill, they aren't a ton of pure plays in the ENC space. Bechtel is really huge, but they're privately held. Floor, F-O-U-O-R, is much more oil and gas-oriented, doing well, but that's not what I want. AECOM, now there's one that fits the bill, but the stock's already up about 12% uh, in the past year. And that leaves you letter J, Jacobs. And look, even if Biden never mustered the votes to pass his infrastructure package, Jacobs could still be a fine company. From 2019 through 2021, these guys managed to put up strong, steady revenue with uh, really good growth, with good earnings, even in the face of the pandemic. See, this is what we're looking for, right? Didn't matter if there was no federal infrastructure package during that period. That's why the stock could rally nicely over the course of 2020 and early 2021 for entering a trading range that has lasted roughly a year. For 2022, Jacobs hasn't been a particularly strong performer, in part because the benefits from last year's infrastructure bill have yet to materialize. They're slow. But sooner or later, these benefits are coming. It's the federal government. It just doesn't happen. They write a check to the state. The state writes a check to Jay. That takes a long time. Back in November of last year, right after the bill passed, the CEO of Jacobs, Steve Dimitriou said, quote, we expect a multi-year benefit, multi-year benefit from the U.S. Infrastructure Investments and Jobs Act to support our growth in the second half of fiscal 2022, end quote. By March of this year, Jacobs held an Investor Day event where they talked about this, how this $1.2 trillion piece of legislation could mean big business for them, even if it might take a little longer for those projects to get going. Guess what? That was right. They talked about new opportunities in late 2022, with revenue growth really getting a boost in 2023. That's the year we're worried about. By the way, we're now a couple of months into their 2023 fiscal year, and you haven't yet gotten the pop. 
Now, when Jacobs reported in May, they delivered a nice top and bottom line beat, but they merely tightened their full-year forecast. In terms of infrastructure spending, Dimitriou explained that out of the $550 billion of incremental infrastructure spending, less than $100 billion had been specifically earmarked for defined projects. Remember, it takes federal go- forever for the federal government to build stuff. In August, Jacobs reported another positive set of results, yet their forecast for the next quarter came in weaker than expected. The stock got hit in response. However, if you listen to the conference call, Dimitriou made it very clear that his U.S. infrastructure business would really start to accelerate in 2023. That was definitively positive commentary. Now, fast forward to this morning. Jacobs delivered another set of mostly better than expected numbers aside from the backlog, which came in pretty light. The most important thing here was the forecast for the 2023 fiscal year. This was a little complicated. Jacobs has a lot of international exposure, so they've been pulverized by the insanely strong dollar because those overseas sales translate into fewer greenbacks. So this time the company gave two forecasts depending upon the strength of the dollar. If exchange rates next year look like this year's average exchange rates, Jacobs says it can generate 10 to 12, 10% revenue growth, 12% earnings growth. But if the exchange rates next year look like they do right now, much more unfavorable, then we're only talking about 6% growth for both sales and earnings. And then you don't want the stock. Initially, Jacobs saw its stock rally in response, but the stock only gave up its gains, finishing the day down nearly 3%. Even after this pullback, though, it's only back to where it was trading a couple weeks ago before we got that cooler than expected CPI. I think it got hit because the backlog came in light and Wall Street really didn't like the forecast based on current exchange rates. And I can't blame them because I wanted a pure play that didn't have anything to do with anything other than Washington. But if you look under the hood, there was quite a lot to like. First, the COO said the projects of uh, the pipeline project supported by the infrastructure bill is, quote, gaining momentum, and projects are moving through the sales cycle into delivery, end quote. In other words, that huge slug of federal spending is finally starting to come through. I like that. At the same time, Jacobs also does a lot of design and engineering for advanced semiconductor plants. Hey, isn't that exactly what the government has with that heavily subsidized CHIPS Act? Unfortunately, the semiconductor industry also has been a serious downturn right now. However, Jacobs says that they haven't seen much softening from the client base. And when it comes to winning design work, that hasn't slowed at all. Now, I do find all this very encouraging, but what about the much weaker than expected backlog this past quarter? Most of that comes down to currency fluctuations. While the backlog was up only 5% year over year, it would have been up over 8% on a constant currency basis. Plus, they're gearing up for some major projects next year. I want you to put it all together. I think the sell-off is giving you a nice buying opportunity. This stock only trades at 16 times next year's earnings estimate, despite having some truly powerful secular growth drivers, including the massive wave of infrastructure spending that's finally about to get kick in. Now, you'll hear a lot of grousing about how these huge government spending packages could be a nightmare from an inflation perspective. And yes, if you're worried about inflation, this spending certainly makes the Fed's job a lot more difficult. But when Congress throws a pile of money at a given industry, it's good news for the stocks in question. Stocks like Jacob's Solution. Now, see, this is really interesting. I think the fl- is, this flows down to Nucor, to Martin Marietta, and to Vulcan Materials, along with the metal benders like Cat and Deer, which reports on Wednesday. So I like all those, too, particularly Nucor. Here's the bottom line. It's taken about a year, but the big bipartisan infrastructure deal is finally starting to flow to the engineering and construction firms. That's why I like letter J, Jacobs. But it's also why you have to be patient if you want to bet on winners from this year's big Biden initiatives, because it takes a while for the feds to deliver. Mid money's back at the break. Coming up, is the Santa Claus rally coming to town? Don't let your portfolio get run over by a reindeer. Stick with Kramer. 
From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This market has been on a roll for the last month and a half after spending months torturing us with a relentless move lower. We know we've finally seen signs that inflation is moderating, which is what needs to happen before the Federal Reserve will stop slamming the darn brakes on the whole economy. Although if you listen to some of these Fed officials, do you think nothing has changed? The biggest difference, though, bear markets tend to last about a year, give or take. And it's now been about 12 months since this bear market started mauling us. I've been through many of these down cycles in my 40-plus years in business, and they always end not necessarily when things get better, but when the sellers exhaust themselves and all the bad news is already baked in. So have we all, at long last, reached that point? Can we count on last month's low as a true bottom? Or are we merely dealing with a temporary reprieve here? To shed some light on the subject, we're going off the charts with the help of Larry Williams. Yep, the legendary technician and market historian who's been the top expert in this space since I was a young scholar-athlete. Uh, yeah, believe it or not, I was a jug. Larry's written over a dozen books and created a host of his proprietary indicators, many of which we use, and you can find on his website, IReallyTrade.com. More importantly, his recent track record is stunning. I've never seen someone make some bold contrarian calls and wind up being free, right to even until some of these great Dow calls we've had lately. And the best one yet still, sorry, Larry, I know you've done a lot of others, was that bottom in April 2020, back when most of us still thought we were headed for a COVID lockdown-induced depression. Three weeks ago, Williams told us to expect more strength through the end of the year. Since then, we've had a very nice run, right? So as we get close to the holidays, we've got to ask him, can it continue? And that's literally what I do. I say, Larry, can it continue? He goes, oh, he says, he sends some charts and he shows me what's going on. I want to start with the daily chart of the S&P 500. You see that blue line? Williams, true seasonal pattern. That's Larry's model of S&P seasonal pattern the way it historically tends to trade at any given point in the year. He's told us repeatedly that seasonals are bullish through the end of the year. And even though the S&P's already rallied hard from its lows, right, we know that, the history says the rally is far from over. And, hey, if you've been trading the seasonal pattern this year, you have done very well for yourself. It's almost insane how closely the index has followed this seasonal cycle. If that pattern holds true, Williams points out there are 
tends to be two sweet spots for the S&P at this time of year. The first runs through late November. The second runs through the mid to late December. How reliable is the kind of forecast? All right, well, let's say you bought the S&P futures at the opening, okay, on any given day in November, then held them for four trading days using a $2,000 stop loss in case things go in south. This graph shows what your profits would have been if you followed this strategy on each day of the November going back decades. The past action reveals that the smartest move was to buy the S&P on the first trading day of November or the 14th trading day. Then Williams points out there's a cluster of positive results if you want anywhere from the 15th trading day to the 18th trading day. Yeah, that's crucial because, well, guess what? Today was the 15th trading day of November, meaning the next few days still represent excellent uh, buying, short-term buying opportunities if you're going off the historical pattern. Remember, this is how much you would have made if you bought on one of these days and then held for the next four sessions. So if, if William's right, the strength should continue through most of next week, which makes sense. Remember, this is a seasonally very, very strong week. However, there's a trade he likes even more than buying on one of these days in late November, and that's the December trade. Check out this graph of the exact trade. Uh, buy at the open, then hold for four days for the $2,000 stop loss, except it's for each day in the month of December. You can see there, these, there tends to be a nice opportunity in the first few trading days of December, but the real gains come closer to the middle of the month. Williams says the sweet spot here runs from the 13th trading day of December through the 17th trading day. Wow, this is fantastic. These are sessions where Santa's most frequently visit Wall Street. This is the Santa Claus rally. Yes, seasonally we know what happens. And look, it's not just the seasonal forecast that is Williams feeling bullish here. Don't forget, he's constantly looking at the history to discern different kinds of patterns that tend to repeat themselves over and over and over. So check out this chart of the S&P 500 with Larry's short-term cycle forecast in red, all right? Now, if this short-term cycle plays out, as it's been doing in recent years, then you might expect to pull back through the end of November. But, and this is a huge but, Larry's short-term cycle indicates that S&P could start roaring in early December. When you put it all together, arguably the best technician in the business is telling us that there's a powerful confluence of bullishness coming up next month for the S&P 500. Between the seasonal pattern and the short-term cycle and also the extremely positive long-term cycle that we covered a few weeks ago, he's seeing a lot of green lights to start buying. Here's the bottom line. The charts as interpreted by the legendary Larry Williams suggest that the Santa Claus rally is coming to town next month and you've got to get ready for it or else you may be left behind. This from the man who, again, believes that the bear is toast. I want calls. I'm going to go to Phil in North Carolina. Phil. Jim, how are you doing today, Jim? I am doing well, Phil. Having a good time. How about you? Jim, as you would say, I'm doing very, very, very good. Excellent. And before I give you my stock, I got to tell you, I don't know if you remember this conversation we had a while ago about my granddaughter who goes to Bloomsburg University. You had said you had a lot of professors who te- taught there. My, my teachers, Bloomsburg, Bloomsburg and East Stroudsburg. That's where they're from. Right. And I told Good you that my schools. granddaughter uh, and her uh, friends listen to you every or watch you every night at 6 p.m. And That's uh, I, I don't know if you remember the phone call. But anyway, i got to tell you right now that she's going to be graduating in December, after three and a half years at Bloomsburg University. Fantastic. I bet you'd be a good teacher somewhere. Yes. She's uh, she's got a lot of horse sense. But anyway, 
uh, let me tell you about my uh, stock. Uh, And maybe you could shout out to Antonio when we're done. Uh, Okay. About six weeks ago or eight weeks ago, I bought NVIDIA. Okay. I'm up about 30 points, 32 points. Okay. Now, in the past, I've let it ride when I've gotten to this point. You know, sometimes you get a spike in this stock and then it goes all the way down again. Should I take my money by 32 points out of this stock? Or should I be patient? Okay, it's a great question. Well, first, uh, Antonia, uh, congratulations on your uh, coming uh, graduation. I would say, Phil, that I would, I actually would, at, now we own it for the Travel Trust, we would sell half. And the reason is because the semiconductors are a nightmare, and I don't want you to get caught up in the nightmare that is even the best of the best, which happens to be NVIDIA. Okay, that's a very nice call, and I love those calls. Repeat calls are great. Tonight's chartists suggest that the Santa Claus rally is indeed coming to town next month. You've got to get ready for it or else you'll be left behind. But there's also some good results in November. Don't forget that. Much more Mad Money Head, including my exclusive with the CEO of Domino's. With a new CEO at the helm, could the pizza chain continue to deliver for investors? I'm getting the latest from the man himself. Then it seems like hardly a day goes by without the Fed winning its war against inflation. So what the heck's really going on here? I'm taking a closer look at the situation. And of course, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. About five weeks ago, Domino's Pizza reported a quiet quarter, but its shares rallied more than 10% in response. Since then, it's continued to work. When the stock jumps on soft news, that to me is a textbook sign that you've got a bottom on your hands. Now, this year has been rough for Domino's. The comparisons, that's the problem. The comparisons to the pandemic era were difficult enough, but then we also have food and labor costs, and we all know this. They're problematic. Strong dollar hit their substantial overseas business. I don't know if the negativity is fully baked in, but I do know they've got a great long-term track record. Plus, today, Domino's announced that they're rolling out a fleet of 800 Chevy Bolt electric cars in what will surely be the nation's largest electric pizza fleet. We like that. So let's check in with Russell Wieners, the CEO of Domino's Pizza. First time to get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Wiener, welcome to Mad Money. Good to yeah. see you. Thanks so much for having me. Russell, there's so much ex- it's exciting about you guys. Thanks. But I think the big news really is this fleet that is 800 Chevy Bolts. got to be the biggest order they've had. Tell us about it. Yeah, well, you know, Do- uh, Domino's was uh, founded, Jim, in 1960 as a delivery company. And we go to bed every night. We wake up every morning saying, how can we get better? And, and this is a way we can get better, um, better service for our customers and, and, and better for the environment. So, yeah, 800 uh, cars out. We already got 100 on the road, uh, 800 by the end of the quarter. I was surprised to read that uh, there's been uh, some difficulty for some of your, your delivery people to have cars and that this helps them. Is, it, is that part of this a shortage? Yeah, well, that's a, a great example. There are a lot of really good reasons to do this EV fleet. But another, a big one is just it allows us to tap into a different driver pool. And so if you think about it today, what we do is we hire folks with cars. But, um, you know, that's getting really competitive given what's going on. There are a lot of people in our stores and out there with driver's licenses. All they need is a car. And uh, you mentioned earlier how cool it is to drive one of these cars, you know, for the kids or whatever. So it's, it's a great way for us to bring incremental labor in at a time where that market's tight. How, okay, I was going to ask you whether it's gotten a little bit more loose. We're starting to hear companies say, you know what, the resumes, the resumes on hand. Yeah. You guys? Yeah, well, you know, we're talking about the stores now. So if you think about our stores, 
Hiring is back to pre-COVID levels. It so is. So we're at 2019 levels, but you know there's still gaps to fill, right. and that's part of why we're doing things like this to, is to bring the inflow, uh, get a little bit, a few more options for folks. Okay, how about costs? Uh, well, you know, costs. What I like to say is, as long as we're competing on a fair deck, right? Domino's wins. Um, so food costs is up, labor costs is up. At the end of the day, what consumers want is consumers want value, and because of our scale, we can bring them value. Now, there have been people who said to me, Jim, uh, the reason why you're no longer getting those numbers like you got from, uh, from uh, Pat Doyle, those giant numbers, is because there's too much saturation. Yet you have a slide which shows these leveraging significant runway for future growth and scale. You're not saturated at all. No, I know, Jim. And, you know, we've got in our top 15 markets, we have another 10,000 stores to build. And when you, when you look at our U.S. business, um, we've gotten better every quarter this year. So Q3 was better than Q2, was better than Q1 on a, on a three-year basis. In our carryout business, we're actually up 35%. 35%. Now, how about uh, at one point you did have a uh, – uh, on your menu, you get 20% off when your order was online for a limited period. And what, how did that work out for you guys? Yeah, all of the pricing we do. You know, uh, I started at Domino's in, in 2008. Right. 2009, we came up with that 599 deal. Right. And, and we just changed it this year. We do lots of analytics kind of behind the scenes to figure out a way to really create the right balance so our customers have the value they want and our franchisees remain with best-in-class profitability. Now, how do I know if I'm a franchisee that you aren't putting around too, too many around me? Well, it, the beauty is we have complete uh, transparency with our franchisees. We've got a track record every year, no matter what happens with the economy, we take them behind the scenes, show them all the, uh, uh, show them all the numbers, and they got that track record. So, so they believe us. There's good trust. Now, I, I'm not, I've been seeing a lot of pizza ads yeah. on TV. It seems like some of the other guys are doing heavy saturation versus you guys. Yeah. Uh, do you count? Do you watch that? Do you say, holy cow, those guys are really promoting? we got to put more ads on because you know, we all do watch football. Yeah. Now, you know, at Domino's, we, uh, you know, sometimes they say there's no rearview mirror in a 747. Right. We look forward, we look at ourselves, and we think if we fix what needs to be fixed with us, other folks follow. Okay. Now, I have to admit with what I'm about to say, I don't want a robot to deliver my pizza. Okay. My kids don't care. They don't interact. But to me, a robot, no go. How are people feeling about having the pizza delivered by a robot? <laughs> well, I think we got a long time before uh, robots. Unfortunately, that's not under our control. The nice thing is we have continued to test with all the folks who are at the forefront of that. So when it's ready, we are ready. We know what the uh, API uh, interaction needs to be. Interestingly enough, someone delivers to your apartment. Are they really delivering to your house? Jim, you still have to come downstairs. How do you get them downstairs? So all those intricate things you need to think about with our partnerships, we've kind of thought through. Well, I think never understood, uh, given the fact that you are so uh, GPS oriented and so easy to use online. Why does anyone ever go to the store? Ha ha ha. It's a really different customer. So, I, well, so let me tell you, there's, there's only about 15% overlap between our carryout and our delivery customer. The, the folks who want delivery want convenience. The folks who want carryout, they want control. They want to make sure the number one thing they do is they open up the but box. But it's never wrong. That's the whole well, point. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a, a different customer. And the, the, the interesting thing about our carryout business is we actually source volume from outside of pizza. And so we're okay that it's a different customers because it's bringing us customers from outside of pizza. Now, what do you think of my analysis that we're starting to finally get away from what were some really hard compares? You know, when your stock was all the way up in 590, right away during Omicron, 
that people are forgetting that peak and are now judging you again versus the easier comparisons. Yeah, you know, I've, I've been at Domino's 14 years. I started, you know, during the last recession. Right. There, as you know, because you, you picked us early. Right. We didn't quite have the pizza that we needed. And, right. And you want to talk about tough times? Those were tough times. We are, we're now the number one pizza company in the world, right. number one delivery company, number one carry-out pizza company. We just became that this year. And, and we're competing from a position of strength. And, um, and, and so strength versus the other guys using third parties? Uh, well, like I said, we, we look at ourselves and, right. and, and, and what we can do. Um, third parties for ordering, third parties for, for, for delivery is, is another conversation if you want to right. talk about that. Well, well, I've got to tell you, I think that to me it feels like a bottom because you just get the sense that people are forgetting now what and looking at the real numbers year over year. But if you're looking at Zoom video, that's not the case. So let's see what happens. That's Russell Wiener. He's the CEO of Domino's. And I've got to tell you, I think that the Chevy Bolt thing is a really terrific way to be a responsible citizen. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, money's back here for the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast-fire lightning round, next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski back to the light round. I'm start with John in Missouri. John! Thanks, Jim, for taking my call. I just have to say I really enjoy the show, and I profited over the years just from watching and learning. And today Thank my you. stock watching is... Watching and learning. Got it. Go ahead. Okay, my stock is Howmet Aerospace, HW. I love that company. I love the aerospace business. We've been using Honeywell for the Chapel Trust and the investing club knows that I think aerospace exposure is incredibly important and how metal give it to you. How about Joe in New Jersey? Joe. Hello, Kramer. Joe. I uh, owned Verizon for 13 years for the dividend. Should I sell it and pick up a three-year CD paying around 5% guaranteed? Um, I will tell you that it is for the dividend that I like it. I would love the company to come out. I'd like for Hans Vestberg to come on the show and say, hey, listen, don't. The board likes the dividend and we're absolutely fine. And until I hear that and then an actual cash flow analysis that is understandable, I'm going to say it's fine. I am not going to pound the table. I need to go to Keith in Indiana. Keith. Booyah, Jim. Second time caller and a member of your investment club. Yes, thank you. Met a lot of club members this weekend at at Total Wine. What's up? As a member of the what club, up? I know you should only be in stocks that are making money, and this company is. But the stock has dropped about 40% in the last six months. Has a medical properties trust become an accidental high yielder, and should I double down? I'm worried about that. I'm worried about that. The stock shouldn't be. This is one of those situations where... Look, I, I got to, you know, a lot of times what I do for a living is to say, uh, okay, if that, that yields too high versus the rest of its cohort, that is too high versus the rest of its cohort, which is very disconcerting to me. So I'm going to say you want to pass on that. I don't want you to risk taking that. I don't want you to risk. I never risk for yield. Never reach for yield. 
Doug in Florida. Doug. Hey, Jim, a big ba-ba-ba-booyah to ya. Wow, that is very heartening. What's up? <laughs> hey, the company I'm interested uh, has a 52-week high of 52.65. They have an earnings call on December 1st after the bell. Kathy Woods has a substantial position in the company. I'm looking for a long-term investment. Want your opinion on P-A-T-H Pass. All right, I'm glad you used the term long-term. I actually believe in the company, but that company is losing money. And you know my rules on mad money. When I get to see so many companies that are making so much money, I am not going to compromise and suggest a company that is losing money. I mean, I can just go all through so many different, different stocks. And the ones that are making money, like a Home Depot, okay? They put a bad number and stocks all the way back. Why? Because they're making money. Bob in Kentucky, Bob. Yes, uh, I wish you, you and your family a happy Thanksgiving. Oh, thank you, have, Bob. Same to you. I have a large investment and now a large loss in uh, Cooper. They've beat estimates for the last seven times and making money. Why are they down more than others in well, the same Well, because, sector? Rob, they've been, losing, they've been losing too much money, and they have to do that pivot and start making money. And when they do, the stock's going to come back because it's a very well-run, good company. And that, ladies and gentlemen, this is the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, this week, be thankful for the Fed. Kramer talks turkey on Powell's war against inflation. Next. Tomorrow. Kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. You know, look, I, I presented my view. It was rejected soundly. Now listen, I, there have been a lot of times when I've made fun of you and then you ended up no, being right. I don't right. care. And you were right you're about my friend. You're my friend. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. a day goes by without the Federal Reserve racking up another victory in the war on inflation. For example, the price of oil fell yet again today, which will lead to lower prices at the pump. Energy was a big part of the inflation story. Not anymore. Last week, we had the triumph of the retail discounters. There are so many inventory gluts in the retail aisles, something that the aggregate data just doesn't seem to capture. The whole industry's gotten incredibly promotional. I think the tremendous run in Walmart should show the Fed that individual consumers are trying to scale back their spending. Today, we got downgrades in RH, formerly Restoration Harbor, and Williams-Sonoma, both from Barclays. Their thesis, that weakening housing cycle. At one point, we were worried about used car inflation. Now, last Friday's Mannheim used vehicle value index shows another decline to the point where average prices are now roughly 14% below last year. Meanwhile, Carvana, one of the biggest used car companies, saw its stock plunge another 12% today. Something, something's not right with that one for certain. And crypto, a possible source spot for the Fed because it's the most speculative kind of asset out there, keeps heading down and down hard, along with Coinbase and anything else that's publicly traded that's tied to crypto. The speculative juices are drying out and that what crypto profits there are keep vanishing. 
the chance of people getting their money back from the miserable FTX bankruptcy keeps getting slimmer by the day. Tens of thousands of people have lost money here, but no one in government ever seems to notice. Ethereum, one of the few crypto coins that was sometimes used as an actual currency, peaked at $4,866 about a year ago. It's now $1,100. An incredible loss for something that's supposed to be a simple medium of exchange. Oh, and the tech-heavy Nasdaq, especially the FANG names and Microsoft, they keep going lower. These are huge repositories of wealth. And as that wealth disappears, the shareholders pull in their horns. Which is exactly what the Fed wants to see. It's going well, right? Yep, hardly a day goes by. While we get good news about inflation, that, uh, that just doesn't seem to matter. Not long ago, it was, it was bad every day, remember? Yet the drumbeat of positive data seems to mean nothing to the people running the Federal Reserve, especially the three hawkish officials who speak tomorrow, Esther George, Loretta Mester, and James Board. Now, I get that they want to see several months of improving numbers before they ease up. I, I don't think that's wrong. But can we just understand that trend lines do matter? When inflation is going down and down and down practically across the board, that's a pretty powerful sign that the Fed's aggressive rate hikes are already working. They're winning the world inflation. They sure don't act like it, though. At this point, I think these Fed officials, many of whom I have great respect for, need to stop giving public speeches. Why do they have to make noise? Suggest that the federal funds rate may have to go up to 7%. What's the point of that? Make negative judgments about savings rates and unemployment. Why can't they simply agree that there's nothing to be gained from this chatter and leave the mass communication of the Fed's official statements? I've never understood why these Fed officials feel compelled to offer their contradictory views on monetary policy. It's okay to tell people they can't talk. Now, they're supposed to be on the same team. I regard them as offensive and defensive coordinators or even linebacker or running back coaches. They all work for the head coach. They work for Jay Powell. And they're not supposed to speak up in public unless they're towing the party line. You know, I wish they'd save it for the field or even the locker room in the internal theater where they watch game film. But in front of an audience, all this Fed chatter makes investing very hard. And it is hard enough already. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I'm trying to find it just for you right here on Mad Bunny. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 